Welcome to the Central Illinois Business Leaders Podcast, where business owners, thought leaders, and community champions from across Central Illinois come to share their story. The Central Illinois Business Leaders Podcast. Anything less would be uncivilized. What's up, Central Illinois? I'm Derek Hayden. I am not joined here by Garrett Olmer today. He is out of the office. Uh, But we are going to go ahead and do the Central Illinois Business Leaders Podcast, powered by Zambu. Zambu is a delicious grapefruit or wildberry vodka-based spirit infused with a Brazilian buzz button. It's smooth, tasty, and leaves you with a signature tingle. Learn more at ZambuLiquors.com. Zambu, taste the tingle. All right, Central Illinois, I am joined by today's guest, who is the founder and managing partner of Triptych Brewing in Savoy, Illinois. Ladies and gentlemen of Central Illinois, please welcome Anthony Benjamin. How are you doing, Anthony? Hi, doing great. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks for joining us. We're excited to uh, learn about a unique business here in Central Illinois and, and a business that um, I enjoy attending every now and then to, to taste some of the brews. But before we do, Anthony, I'm going to take you through our speed round. And the speed round is six questions. And the goal is to answer those in 60 seconds or less. Um, no pressure. If you go 61 seconds, uh, you know, I'm not going to kick you off the show or anything. So sure. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. What was your first concert? Weezer. Weezer. What is your favorite movie? The matrix matrix favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, sorbet. iPhone or Android iPhone. That a boy. Favorite social media platform? Um, I guess Facebook kind of by default. Okay, fair enough. And last question, why Central Illinois? Uh, I mean, Central Illinois is just like a cornucopia of so many different people. You have the university here, which draws a lot of new people constantly, but you have people who have kind of moved here and stayed here. And so it just seemed like an area that was ready for the, you know, had the culture necessary to support a small brewery like ours. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that was pretty painless. You you did a pretty good job. You went, it was a smoother speed, speed round than some we've had. So nice work on that. So Anthony, before I start asking a bunch of questions, what I'd like to do is um, have you take us back as far as you'd like. Sure. Bring us up to speed with where you're at now, how you open the brewery, why you open the brewery and where you're at today. Sure. So um, in I had moved to Central Illinois with my wife just after we got married. We both graduated from Mizzou, uh, University of Missouri, Columbia. And I was an engineering person and she was an anthropology person. And uh, she decided she wanted to go to law school. So she got admitted to the U of I law school here. And we came here and I started working for the U of I right away doing computer stuff. And uh, during that process, I kind of started brewing in my garage at home. I needed a hobby. She was spending a lot of time at the law library. I was sitting at home. We didn't have any children yet or anything like that. And so over the course of many years, I was brewing and getting into it. And a lot of people were asking me, well, is this something you're going to start a business with? Is this something that, you know, you want to pursue professionally? And so there weren't a lot of places at the time to go brew at. So um, I kind of got more serious about it and started talking to some friends and they had been talking about starting a brewery also. 
And so we kind of, the three of us got together and started looking for spaces and looking for, you know, kind of formulating a business plan. And that was back in uh, like 2010 or so. And then um, around 2012, we finally found kind of a space we were happy with in Savoy. And we went through a really long protracted licensing thing and, and all kinds of other stuff. And then in 2013, February of 2013, we got it open and started um, the, the brewery. It was mostly taproom focused at first. It was really, really small. So we started with um, a three barrel, basically a three barrel system, which is approximately, you know, 93 gallons of beer every time I would brew. And uh, now um, just the brew system alone is like five times bigger than that. But the amount of tanks and the amount of space that we have for beer is like, uh, 20 or 30 times what we started with. And so we've gone through a lot of expansions over the years. The two friends that I started with eventually I decided it wasn't for them and I bought them out. Um, you know, we've in all those expansions, we've gone through so many different things like promissory no notes, royalty financing, 504 loans, a private placement memorandum. Um, and so I've had to kind of step away from the part that I actually really love which is the brewing part and do more of just business day-to-day -day, like management and and stuff like that and I think that that's something you find often with a creative uh, business you start as a creative person and you expect mm -hmm. to do the creative thing all the time and that isn't usually what it is and it's kind of mm -hmm. the same thing as you know it was kind of foolhardy to think that you know, knowing how to brew beer would be a reason to start a small business and especially well, like our structure is the worst of all the things it's manufacturing hospitality and distribution all on one on everything and so you have to deal with all of the worst parts of all of those uh with none of like the upside of any of them so uh that's kind of where we're at now we've uh we just a couple of years ago we we finished an expansion where we bought an eight thousand square foot building directly across the street from our original facility so we own all of the real estate involved with triptych that's taken a few years to kind of uh, pull together. And then, um, you know, day to day, we're just brewing beer and, and getting it out there on the shelves. I mean, we're, our beer is available in a ton of different like places that you would never expect to see, like a craft brewery from Savoy, Illinois. Uh, you know, every major mm -hmm. grocery store you can think of in our kind of strip through Illinois here and, and every liquor store and, you know, beer cans in the stadium for U of I football and cans in the, in, in the State Farm Center for basketball. Wow. So, yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's a very cool story. So you answered one of my questions as you were talking through there. Um, the question was, had, had you been brewing like home brewing and how long had you been home brewing? So did you have a lot of experience home brewing or were you brewing on commercial equipment to get started? I had I started home brewing, um, basically started with just straight from grain right from the get go and was kegging beer right from the get go. And I was in the heyday. I mean, I was doing four to five batches a weekend wow. uh, at, at a five gallon scale. And then eventually I increased that to like a half barrel scale and just really kind of went through the brewing, you know, trying to learn as much as I can, thinking that that would somehow have application. Um, uh -huh. But it, it really doesn't. The only real application is troubleshooting and, and kind of the iterative process that, the, I mean, really fall back on engineering uh, -huh. uh 99 of the time because the brewing at a small scale has so many different things that um just don't even come into play on on the scale that we're at now and the kind of um 
you know, brewing at home and just putting it in a refrigerator and sharing with your friends whenever you want. It's a lot different than thinking about making a product stable enough to sit on the shelf at, you know, the local Meyer or wherever it's going right. to be. Yeah. So there's a lot I of different things you have to worry about. So you said it doesn't scale completely like home brewing to commercial brewing. Do you still use any of your basic recipes that you came up with when you first started in Triptych yeah. now? Not really. I mean, there's a lot of conceptual ideas that kind of have moved forward with us. I mean, part of the thing is too, uh, craft beer is this, especially folks that are really into craft beer, it's a really uh, changing dynamic and there's always like new styles and new trends. And so in the 10 years that Triptych has been around, there's hardly any beers that of Triptych uh, history that have survived that whole time just because of, you know, consumers uh, can be uh, very... Uh, not fickle, but just like looking at the next thing and especially craft beer consumers looking for the next thing. What's the next new beer? And so for us to ever have a beer that lasts for four or five years, even, which we have one now called Dank Meme that has been around for quite a while. But mm -hmm. for us to have one beer like that is is quite unique in, in yeah. craft beer landscape of these days anyways. That's that's kind of the, the one that I always remember is Dank Meme. That's the one yeah. that um, we sell a I, lot of it. We make a lot of it. Do you really? Yeah, that's great. So what is your, what would you say is your most popular style of beer that Triptych sells and brews? I think our most popular style uh, tends to be hazy beer, uh, hazy hoppy beer. It's, it's beer that a lot of newcomers especially see kind of the IPA moniker on and worry that it's going to be bitter, but 99% um, of the time they're really fruity. They have uh, flavor components that remind you of like juice. They're everything in the process of those beers is made to mimic juice. Um, and it's something that has kind of caught, it had caught us by surprise. I mean, we were, when I first started, we were really making really traditional styles. I mean, you come in here and we had a, a brown ale and an amber ale and an oatmeal stout and a, you know, you know, blonde ale. And nowadays you come in here and it's, it's basically, uh, hazy IPAs and lagers. I mean, I, I look at the menu over there and it's, uh, there occasionally is a brown ale or something else that pops up, but. Um, that's the other big thing about running a commercial brewery. When you homebrew, you can brew whatever you want. And, uh -huh. it doesn't matter. and yep. this, you have to brew what people want and what, right. you know, people want to buy. And so a lot of times a customer doesn't understand that. And they come in and like, well, why don't you have more brown ales? Or why don't you have more amber <laughs> ales? But nobody buys those. We would make them if they bought, you know, if they sold, we would make them. We don't choose, you know, you want to stay in business. You right. Cater yeah. to customer, customer wants and sales. Wow. <laughs> so as you were talking about establishing the brewery you mentioned some of the licensing process you went through and I think a lot of people maybe not a lot of people but they just think that you just start a business and start selling beer or start selling yeah. whatever product you're you're selling so what what all licensing goes into a brewery and sure. I know that there's a lot of weighing and measuring and tagging and can you kind yeah. of explain a little bit of that process Sure. I mean, alcohol is one of the most regulated industries in the United States because of our complicated history of prohibition um, and other aspects, tax aspects, especially. And so uh, there's a lot of oversight that goes into that. But for us also in Savoy, it's a pretty small town and there is only a limited amount of commercially zoned uh, real estate. And in that commercially zoned real estate, if you want to run a liquor uh, business, if it's a manufacturer, you're selling liquor or whatever you're doing with liquor, um, you need to get a special license on top of that. So you have to get that first and you go before the local village board and you explain to them what you're planning on doing, get your local liquor license. After you have that, then 
um, you apply for a federal uh, brewer's notice is what it's called, and you give them a big diagram of your of your facilities and what you, all your processes are going to be, including how you're going to measure what beer you're making and how you're going to measure how much beer you've made and how you're going to pay the taxes ultimately. And then after you have that, you apply with the state of Illinois and tell them some of the same sort of things, and they come and inspect it, and they also look and make sure that you're not secretly owning other parts of three-tier businesses. So uh -huh. if I owned a liquor store, you can't also own a brewery. Uh, okay. A, brewery of our structure anyways okay if you go on a distributor you can't own a brewery um okay. and so they go through all of that and then once you have all of those licenses then you can get started up then after the first month or so they come and look at everything and make sure uh, everything is ex as they expect and so every month we send two reports to the state of illinois one uh, indicates how much beer we've manufactured and one indicates essentially how much beer we've sold and then quarterly, you send something similar to the federal government and you pay taxes on those. In Illinois, you pay uh, some 60 some cents a gallon on the beer that you sell out of the facility. And okay. uh, federally, you pay $3.50 for every 31 gallons that you manufacture wow. uh, up to a certain point, which is much bigger than what we would be. Um, okay. And so, yeah, you have to keep track of all of that so that someday when they come and audit you, you can say, okay, this is, you know, these are all the records that um, support this. So luckily, computer background, all of our stuff's computerized. We have a cloud system that manages all of the production data and all the brewers um, that are over in the production facility are, you know, keeping track of that electronically because otherwise it would be impossible to have that paper trail. Um, right. When we first started, though, it was just a spreadsheet. It was just me and a spreadsheet. And it, that's how it worked <laughs> for a few years. Very nice. So for you listeners out there, it's not just as simple as opening the doors and selling beer to people. It's, there's a lot that goes on. I'm sure that was just one of the hurdles that you had to, to jump over before you started. Was there anything else that was a, um, a hurdle as you were growing the business that um, you're willing to share about? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, manufacturing business is, <clears throat> is always um, all about working capital and, and to expand. You don't realize, you know, in a manufacturing business like ours, you know, maybe at the end of at end of end of a really good quarter, without inflation, without COVID, and without everything else, you're netting like fifteen or twenty percent. And so, to build an expansion plan based on that is, you know, very difficult in terms of, especially, you know, you're out, you're putting out all the ingredients, you're putting out all the money for the cans and all the other packaging materials and all of that. And it's not until you sell all of that that you actually are getting that net, anyways. And so, mm -hmm. um, over the years, we've just had to be you know, really creative and find, um, it's been really important for us to find a banking partner that understood that. And Busey has been a really great partner in all that. Um, just understanding how a brewery works, how manufacturing works, and then also um, understanding like the various government programs, like the, the 504 loan program was instrumental in our last expansion. Um, and then and in conjunction with that, finding like a CDC that's going to be your sponsor for a 504. And so we found a great place in Springfield called Growth Corp uh, that helped us through that. And so just, you know, all those things. And then, um, you know, make sure you have a good attorney because there's always going to be something related to that that you need. And you're, it's tempting to read through contracts on your own, but I've never had a time where that didn't come back to bite me. And so nowadays we always have, you know, our attorney look through stuff and it's, it's, those things are what I wish I had a time machine to tell myself and <laughs> 10 years ago is like, Hey, make sure you do this, 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 and, you know, get the banking relationship going early. Cause you don't want to be, 
at the last minute trying to get a banking relationship started when you need the money. You want to have it already started way before you need the money. Right, right. Wow. So you mentioned that you've expanded into a new 8,000 square foot building across the street. Um, you're going in the stores. Um, what extra equipment do you need? Obviously, it's a lot of equipment needed just to brew beer and serve it at your brewery. But yeah, then so. to, you know, to manufacture it and put it in stores, what all, what's that process look like? So um, we have, you know, a big brewing setup over there where we brew um, one to two batches every day. So that's 500 to 1,000 gallons of beer wow. every day, five days a week. We don't brew Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. And then inside of uh, that facility, we also have several uh, fermentation tanks and storage tanks, basically. And so there mm -hmm. are um, like a, a dozen fermentation vessels that are each between 500 and 2,000 gallons each. And then uh, six storage vessels that are each between 2,000 and 1,000 gallons each. And then we also have um, all of the equipment to package the beer in a sanitary and like quality ensuring way. So it's a automated canning line that takes cans off of a pallet, fills up the beer, puts the lid on, and then shoots it out the other side and, and gives it to an operator who then stacks it up and gets it ready to ship. And so uh, when we can beer, we're canning about 24 cans, uh, 24 16 ounce cans a minute. Um, and we usually do a couple hundred cases of beer uh, when we start up the canning line to do that. And we do that three or four times a week. Um, wow. And then in that process, there's a lot of testing equipment to um, verify that the beer is going in there without excess oxygen, without losing the carbonation. And so, you know, just a little testing instrument for that uh, sets you back like $16,000. Um, and so- cow. Yeah, that's just one little piece of it. So, I mean, our balance sheet is all this manufacturing equipment that's super specialized that, you know, if we were ever to bite the dust, like you don't find just the guy down the street's not going to come and get all this stuff, you know? And so um, it's it's something, it's, they say it, the joke uh, that if you want to make a small fortune in brewing, you take a large fortune and you start a brewery because <laughs> it's very capital intensive. Um, and it's just for, for nickels on cans of beer that you're selling, you know? Right. So. Yeah. And that's one thing, you, you know, for those who have ever gone to a brewery, you see some of the, you know, at least the portion that is in the brewery where you're sitting, you know, tap room, you can see all the the vessels and, yeah. you know, the temperature control and the, you know, fermentation tanks and all that stuff. And then you go and buy, you know, maybe 12 to 16 ounces of beer for five, six bucks a, a glass. And yeah. you're like, wow, how much, it's just crazy to think. So to understand how well Triptych's doing to get out, you know, as, grow as big as you've done, you as you have, you've done something right. And it's cool to see you guys continue to pop up at stadiums and stores. Yeah. And so that's very cool. Um, so one question I have is where did the name come from? What What sure. is Triptych Brewing based off of? A Triptych is a three panel or a three component artwork. And so, um, as you can kind of see in the, the logo here, uh, hops, grain, and water are the main constituents in beer. And so we had three ingredients in beer. We knew initially we were going to sell in Champagne, Urbana, Savoy. We had three partners initially. And so we thought that that artistic kind of old world, uh, callback. And so in the old days, uh, a monk would walk around between villages and towns with a triptych and it would fold up on itself. And he'd unfold it and it would show like a scene, maybe a canonization of a saint or like the crucifixion of the Christ or something like that. And he would share it with people. And when they came and looked at it, they would give him like an alm or an offering or whatever. And then he'd fold it back up and he'd go to the next town and do it again. And so in our kind of haughty 
you know, uh, naive way, we thought we were bringing like art, the art of brewing to the area and that, you know, we wanted to be artistic. And, and when we first started, we really were brewing a lot more art, old world kind of styles. And so we wanted to be rooted in that European tradition. Um, and over time, that's kind of evolved, but uh, we wanted a name that had the roots at least. So that's where it came from. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah, that's that's one thing that what's what's the German term for like the purity of beer? Like it's Reinheitsgebot. Only... Yes. So yeah. explain. I know a little. So I do some home brewing. So I, sure. I understand brewing a little bit. But explain so that Rein... to the listeners. The Reinheitsgebot. The Reinheitsgebot is um, at its best a German purity law, and at its worst a taxing mechanism to make sure that uh, barley was used for beer instead of like wheat and other grains. And so. Um, in the context of the time, there was a lot of things going on in Germany um, and and beer, real beer was under threat and assault. And so um, a duke basically set this law, a taxing law that said that only uh, malted barley, hops and water could go into beer. And um, they didn't know about yeast at the time. And, and a lot of people ask me why there's not yeast on our, our sign. But we think of yeast more as like a cooperative partner and not an ingredient. You can't just like drop it in and expect it to do its thing like you can with hops. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, that Reinheitsgebot has been touted for a thousand years now as the first food purity law, but it probably was the first uh, taxing mechanism. Um, it's similar to, you know, how you can't put uh, grain alcohol in beer because taxing mechanisms basically don't exist for you to, for the government to allow you to do something like that. So, um, okay. Yeah. Very nice. So there's a few other terms that I know a lot of people who, you know, go to breweries and try different beers that sure. they have questions about. What is an, what is IBU? Can you explain that to people who yeah. you know, or maybe don't know, IBU, quite know, but yeah. Yeah. And IBU is, is an abbreviation for international bittering units. And it's actually basically a measurement of um, when you take a beer and you do a complicated uh, lab process on a, a bench process to separate out kind of the bitter components. And then you mix it with a reagent, usually um, iso-octane, I think, is the, the most commonly used one. And then you feed it through um, a spectrogram, a spectrograph. So it measures the UV light of the resulting uh, mixture. And that measurement of UV light is then multiplied with some complicated math to give you an approximate uh, calculation for how bitter a beer is. Uh, this calculation was invented like in the 50s, maybe even earlier. And so it is an approximation for how they made beer then and how bitterness was in beer then. It doesn't take into account a lot of modern techniques. And so I've, you know, when we first started, we had IBUs in all of our beers. Now we don't use them because it's such a poor representation of perceived bitterness in a person's palate. So a great example is you can make a beer that has a um, hundred IBUs that doesn't taste very bitter. And you can make a beer that has zero IBUs that tastes very bitter. The bitterness is literally that IBU number is literally just a measurement of the use, uh, the, the util utilization of hops in the beer. And so it's not, it's, it's been kind of bent uh, to represent uh, bitterness for consumers. And it's really a poor indicator of that. Um, but regardless, a lot of times, if the IBU is higher, then you can you can expect that the beer generally should be more bitter to your to your palate. One thing that I I feel like when I go to breweries with people, they're always afraid to try dark beers. Yeah. So can you, I guess, demystify that myth a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of, um, especially in our area, I think there's a lot of um, 
kind of misunderstandings that darker beer or stronger beer or darker beer will contribute to a hangover the next day or darker beer is, you know, is a lot of those different things. And a lot of people point to Guinness as a great example. Guinness is so strong and it's so thick and whatever. And I, actually, a lot of times when you go to a bar, Guinness has less alcohol on there than most of the other beers, uh, aside from like, you know, Bud Light or Miller Light. And so um, really that dark color just comes from the ingredients and similar to how coffee, you know, coffee is not particularly um, strong in terms of its like content of anything. It doesn't have any sugar and it doesn't have any anything. It's just dark colored like that. Mm-hmm. And so you can make a beer that's that dark color. You could make a, you know, a light lager that looks that way and, and still just has the same kind of flavor and, and everything else. The darkness isn't what you should be really concerned about. Really what you should be concerned about is alcohol by volume and how, you know, how strong the beer is. Cause you can make a super light blonde colored beer. That's, you know, 14% alcohol. And that's what you have to be concerned about. It's always the alcohol by volume, not necessarily the color. And I think the fun thing about going to a craft beer, a craft brewery, a small brewery, it, uh, the idea you can get like small tastes and it's really, you know, like a buck or two, you know, a buck and a half to try a beer. And, and if you don't like it, okay, well, you know, I'm sure you've spent a buck and a half on worse things this week. And so, you know, nothing, nothing ventured, nothing lost. And I think a lot of our customers, um, when they first came in, you know, they're always skeptical about different styles. They've been skeptical about IPAs and then they try ours and they're just like, wow, this is unlike any IPA I've ever had. This is so amazing. They come in next time. They're just always having those. And, and the same thing with, you know, Dank Meme is, is, a hazy, it says pale ale and a lot of people expect it to be bitter, but it's not bitter. It's, it, you know, it has a little bit of crispness. Um, but I think that fun part of exploring craft beer, um, is really got what got me into it initially. Um, but even if you're not into that, I mean, at Triptych, we have lagers that are just normal beer, beer flavored beer, even. And I think one says on the menu and, and that's cool too. I mean, those are more challenging, more interesting for me to brew these days than uh, IPAs or stouts or, or the dark beer even. So Right, right. Yeah, it's it, like Anthony said, there's there's a lot of opportunity to to expand your horizons when you go to a, a craft brewery because you you don't have to just try to order the whatever's most like Bud Light. Give it a yeah. try, you know, give it a try. You know, there's some good stuff out there. One question I do have written down before we wrap it up, Anthony, is do you have any local do you source any local ingredients for your beers or where do you get some of your ingredients from? Yeah, it depends on the beer. I mean, over the years we've used uh, local barley, local hops, local fruit, um, local honey, uh, herbs. I mean, all kinds of different things. And it really just depends on the beer that we're trying to make. A lot of times nowadays, if we're trying to emulate like a German or a Czech lager, we will import import the barley directly from Germany or Czech um, but a lot of the beer we're, when we're making American styles are it's grain from the Midwest, um, you know, a lot of a lot from the Dakotas, um, malted usually in uh, Wisconsin is, is a lot, a big source of it. Um, sometimes there's a small malt uh, house in Indiana that we use barley from it really for us. Um, we're not necessarily married conceptually to like a specific uh, like barley from 100 miles of the brewery or anything like that. For us, it's always been. You know, what makes the best flavored beer and what uh, is going to contribute the most to this end product? And that's what we're going to source, even if we have to go through a lot of hassle to find it or, or import it or whatever it's going to be. If it makes the best beer, then that's what we're going to use. Awesome. So one last thing, I, I noticed that you guys do a lot of collaborations with food trucks and having them on site um, yeah. for someone looking to maybe go try some beer and 
a local food truck. Um, what nights do you typically have that, those food trucks? Uh, so um, show up? the best thing to do is to check our website. There is a little schedule thing on there that shows all the food trucks, but uh, generally it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, we always have a food truck here. And so Thursdays, we have a taco truck that's been in residence for a long time, um, probably for two or three years now. On Fridays, we have a wood-fired pizza truck that's also kind of been in residence for quite a while. Cool. Then on Wednesdays, most Wednesdays, we have a place called Watson's Chicken. Uh, they have a restaurant in downtown Champaign called Watson's, and they do uh, really good fried chicken, Nashville hot. Um, and then Saturdays, it's kind of a grab bag. Um, even Sundays, sometimes a place will come. It just really depends on what their schedules are. You know, food trucks um, are very fluid and they have a lot of things going on and they, they have, they go to festivals and, and fairs and carnivals and all kinds of stuff. And so we're kind of at their uh, mercy to their whims when they can show up and, and, uh, if nothing is broken on their truck and all that. And so, uh, the best place to look is our website. Cause we keep that up to date, even if, you know, something happens, we awesome. also put it on Facebook forum too, usually. Very nice. And and what is the website web address? Crypticbrewing.com. Uh, T-R-I-P-T-Y-C-H brewing.com. Awesome. And what location, if someone is visiting Central Illinois and visiting Savoy area, what location should they can they find you at? What uh to have beer? I mean yes. I, basically anywhere that's anywhere has triptic <laughs> beer. Um I mean in, in downtown Champaign, we have a lot of favorite places to go. Seven Saints, Esquire, Black Dog. Um, you know, there are number of places that have it. And I think um, you know, that's the biggest thing for us is is we've always wanted to be a partner to all these restaurants and, and bars, and we want them to succeed because without them, we can't succeed, especially at the sure. scale that we're aiming to be. And so um, we were very, very thankful for all the places that feature our beer. And it's many, many, many. So Awesome. And uh, if you're a Fighting Illini football fan, when you hit head to the stadium this year, make yeah, sure you order a, a triptych beer. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Very cool. So other than the website and where they can buy your beer, is there anywhere else they could contact you or Triptych Brewing at, Anthony? Yeah, I mean, um, you can always send me a message. My email is anthony at trypticbrewing.com or I'm on Facebook. You could message me on there. I usually uh, don't, you know, I'll friend anybody that wants to be friends and talk about whatever you want to talk about. Um, we've got a little bit of a social media presence. Also, this group called Triptych Brewing Behind the Curtain. And that's kind of a place where we have like 2000 of Triptych's closest fans that sit there and find out about our newest releases and suggest beers we should make and kind of have the inside track on everything. So if you're curious, want to see what's going on in the in, inner workings of Triptych, that group is a good resource too. Very cool. And uh, for all you listeners out there, while you're following Triptych Brewing on social media, you can also follow uh, the CIBL podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook. While you're listening on whatever uh, podcast platform you're listening, please leave us a review. It's greatly appreciated. Until next time, Anthony, you've officially been civilized. Thanks, Thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Central Illinois Business Leaders Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash C-I-B-L podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. It's the civilized thing to do.